Yahweh, we just give you this night as we go through your Psalms and we just look at what it means to share our heart with you. And we look at examples of men who have gone before us, who have demonstrated that, and help us just kind of translate that into our own lives as we pray and worship you. I pray that as we just go through the book of Psalms, we gain a greater appreciation for this and maybe gain a greater understanding of what it means to share our hearts with you in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Psalms originally comes from our English title. Psalms comes from the Greek word psalmio, which is from the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. But that word is a translation of the Hebrew word mizmor. Mizmor literally means songs to the accompaniment of string instrument. The idea is it's basically songs to string instruments. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that every psalm was done to a string instrument, nor does it mean that the psalms were being understood as songs. They are originally prayers that were written that were then turned into songs as people went into the temple or before celebrations and festivals. The, the authors of the psalms, we don't know who exactly gathered them all together in the book, but many of the psalms have, according to David or according to Asaph, and so there are multiple different authors. We know that Moses authored Psalm 90. David composed over 73 of them. Most likely the first part of Psalms is mostly David. We know that. Asaph wrote 12 Psalms. Korah's descendants, Korah was one of the four families of the Levites. They were priests. Um, they wrote about 10 of the Psalms. And Solomon wrote Psalm 127 and perhaps 72. Heman, an Ezraite, wrote one in Psalms, Psalm 188. Ethan, an Ezraite, composed Psalm 89. And the book of Psalms is a collection of Psalms of many different people. All different people from all different points of Israel's history that have kind of just written their own individual prayers. And we know that these are mostly written during the monarchy. They seem to have been mostly collected from during the time of Solomon and the end of the monarchy. The book of Psalms was brought together by an unknown composer who basically gathered a bunch of the Psalms together as a book of prayer. And this is probably most likely canonized and sealed before the exile actually happened. There seems to be a complete collection that was circulating um, before the exile. The purpose of the book of Psalms is to show that devotion to Yahweh means humans are to bring all of their life, emotions to Yahweh, and petition and prayer. So the main purpose is to praise God and to petition God with all of your emotions. So the idea is not just lip service, it's not just praise, it's not just what I want, but it's actually pouring out your heart. Your heart in the good, the bad, and the ugly of what you feel. No matter what it is, you give it to God. And the idea is that Psalms presents Yahweh as the sovereign and most ultimate creator over all the universe. And if he's the one who creates the universe and sustains the universe, then he is the one who is worthy of our praise. He's the only one who can handle our petitions. He's the only one who can handle everything we have, good, the bad, and the ugly. And so by giving him everything in praise and petition, 
we are in a way acknowledging him as the ultimate sovereign God. And in that, in this sense, is a sense of worship. Okay? Worship is not singing songs. Worship is not praising God. That's praise. Worship is obediently submitting and surrendering to God. And so when you're truly worshiping God, it's when you're submitting to him. And so it's when you're bringing your petition and praise, not in just words or emotions, but actually surrendering to him. And then you're going out in the world and obeying him in in service. That's worship. So if that's what you're doing as you pray, then that's worship. If that's what you're doing when you're praising him, then that's worship. But if it's just emotional songs that make you feel good, that's not really worship. And this is the point that the book of Psalms is making. When you go through the Psalms, they're very emotional. And this is something that I think especially America needs to see is because we're not really good at expressing emotions. And I'm not saying that's true of every single person in America or even this room, but overall have been in a lot of communities and a lot of groups and emotions are not very much shared. And even in a community setting, our emotions are really not shared that much. And there's this fear that I'll be judged, I'll be rejected, or oh my gosh, how could you be thinking that? Or how could you be feeling that? And even when people have lost a loved one and they might express some doubt, we're like, oh, you know that's not true. God is like all sovereign. He has a purpose and that kind of stuff. And though that's true, that's not really what people need to hear in that time. So the book of Psalms is basically this. We have emotions. Whether they're good or bad, it doesn't matter. We're feeling it. And the fact is, is that we're feeling it. And it doesn't matter if it's like, oh, you should never be feeling like that. That's a horrible feeling. That's wrong to feel. That may be absolutely theologically true. But the fact is, you're feeling it. And just because somebody says, stop it, that's bad. It's not like, switch, okay, I'm good now. The reality is we feel these emotions. And they're good, they're bad, they're immoral sometimes, they're moral, they're negative, they're positive, they're neutral, they just are. And they flow through your body, you can't control them, you can't do anything with them. And so what the book of Psalms is, is you surrendering those emotions to God. And it's basically acknowledging that if you truly are the sovereign creator of the world, who created everything, sustains everything, and can do anything, then this is who I am. This is what I feel, and I'm going to give it to you. He already knows what you feel. He knew what you were going to feel before you were even born, and he still chose to love you, pursue you, and die for you. And so what the book of Psalms is just honesty. Now, if there's anything that you've learned through classes, the Jews were really good at sharing their emotions. They, like when they mourn, they just rip their clothes, put ashes on their head. And they're like, just kill me, God. Okay, and you're like, wow, we don't usually hear Americans get that dramatic. Okay, so that was one strength. They have many, many, many weaknesses in their culture, just like we have many weaknesses in our culture. But they had many strengths, just like we have strengths. And that was one strength that they had. Their emotions were there. And they expressed them and they didn't hide them. And we're going to see that with the prophets even. Habakkuk looks at God and says, I look everywhere and there's violence and you're not doing anything about it, God. What the heck? And you're like, oh my gosh, you can't talk to him that way. But Habakkuk could have gone to his friend and complained about God. And then he could have rejected God. But instead he went to God and he complained to him. And then he let God speak. And then he let God change him. 
And that's what makes that totally biblical and totally godly. And that's what the book of Psalms is. It's they're giving their emotions to God and they're saying, you have to do something with this. Okay? We've got drugs. We've got counseling. We've got stuffing it. But God is the only one who can truly deal with emotions and bring healing and change it. And he'll either change our circumstances or he'll change us. And that's how we pray. That's how we praise him. That's how we petition him. That's how we just talk. We say, this is what I feel. This is what I'm thinking. I know it's not always good. I know it's kind of ugly, but I feel it and I'm thinking it, but I love you and I trust you and I'm giving it to you. Deal with it. And that's when he does something. And when you do that, that's submission. That's worship. That is a relationship with God. And that's what the book of Psalms is really trying to encourage here. Even to the point of David's going to do things like, there's these things called imprecatories. I love imprecatories. One day I would just love to get the courage to just stand up in the church and sing an, or read an imprecatory. Okay? Imprecatory is Psalms like Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. And David basically pours his heart out and he says, God, they have betrayed me. They have turned against me. I want you to leave them childless, kill their family, kill them, bury them alive, make everybody abandon them, make them experience. And you're like, what the heck? Now, I was kind of joking about singing in front of church. Um, well, I wouldn't sing it, but saying in front of church. But at the same time, I don't think we should be scared, okay, of bringing that in church and dealing with it. Now, here's the thing. You can't read Psalms. Psalms is not teaching you correct theology about what to believe. Because if you read that imprecatory and you interpret it as correct theology about the belief, then what it's teaching is it's okay to want children to die. It's okay to want people to be buried alive. It's okay for them to have vengeance poured out on them in their life. But what Psalms is teaching you is that this is theologically correct how to express it to God. And that's what David is doing. He has been betrayed by a close friend. And the reality is that's what he's feeling. Vengeance is pouring up in his heart. He wants the worst thing that could possibly happen to them to happen to him. And he can't stop feeling it. And so what does he do? He could have gone to a man and paid a mercenary and said, this is what I want. But the reality is he doesn't go to anybody in the kingdom. He goes to God. And he says, this, this is what I want, God. And then he ends it and says, but I trust you, and you are good. And there's nothing theologically correct about the way David feels, but there's everything theologically correct about the way that he brought it to God. And then he trusted God that God would deal with it, that he would deal with the enemy in the way that God saw justice, and he would deal with David's heart in the way that David needed his heart dealt with. And the more honest and the more transparent without feeling guilty that you're saying these things to God, the more likely that he can change you. That is my first advice to you on how to read the Psalms. Just read them and feel the raw emotion. And allow it to encourage you to pour out your raw emotion. And in the privacy of your home, or next to your friend, or spouse, or children, when you're all feeling it together as a community, because many of us have been betrayed or hurt as a group, and we're all feeling it as family members or friends, then be willing to pour out your raw emotions, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the theologically wrong, and not feel shame or guilt that you feel it, but just rest in the fact that you're giving it to God, 
and not some neighbor or coworker at work, and you're not just complaining and being bitter and poisoning the water. You're giving it to a God of the universe who will not be affected by you. He will not become negative with you as you complain. He will not join you in the, yeah, we should do this as you complain. He will not turn on you and say you're a horrible, evil person as you complain. And he will not go out and get you fired. (laughs) He will deal with your heart. And that is the first way you read Psalms. And we learn from the Psalms and then we pray And as we go through this night, I'm going to point out the laments, the thanksgivings. And if you don't even know how to pray like this, then at least you'll know where some of these prayers are. And you can at least pray that prayer. And that will begin to teach your heart how to pray that way as you want. And that is the model that is set here. It's truly understanding that my God is so good and so loving that he has given me an outlet for all the nastiness, the goodness, and the badness of what I feel. Because he created me with emotions, he has emotions, and he wants me to deal and be honest with my emotions. And that is really the major purpose of the book of Psalms. The major purpose of the book of Psalms. And it is incredibly liberating when I begin to learn how to pray this way and to really begin to be honest like this. And many times just in the shower in the morning, this is the only time I have alone time sometimes, and there's no distractions whatsoever, and I don't feel guilty that I'm walking away because I have to take a shower. And there's something soothing about a shower too. And there's many times that I've just poured my heart out in the shower, and all of my hopelessness, all my despair, all my anger, and all that kind of stuff. And between the water and God, things are better when I get out. I mean, not magic wand, everything in my life changes, but a sense of peace that he'll deal with things. So this is what the book of Psalms is basically communicating. We are to invite God into our lives to do this. Now, originally these psalms were individual psalms. They're individual psalms written by individuals expressing specific things. Over time, they became a part of the community. Even though the Psalms started as an individual, when they were finally formed and collected, they became very general and they became very community-oriented. So the book of Psalms was actually meant to be read as community. And so some of these Psalms were written as the nation lamented and cried and mourned over things, and they would read a Psalm to express that as a community of people. Some of them were praises that they would sing as they would go into the temple to make a sacrifice as a community. When Jesus and his mom and dad are on the road and they're going to Jerusalem and and you know they made the trip there, of course the story spends more time on the trip back when Jesus left behind, so to speak, Um, they would be singing this as a group. So you would gather up and you would start walking to the temple, which could take a, a week or so. And as people from the villages gathered to your group, as you got closer and closer to Jerusalem, they would be singing things from the book of Psalms. They would sing them during the festivals. It was a very community-oriented thing. If there was two things that I would really add to our worship services in the church, it would be more testimonies. And I don't mean testimonies of how you became a Christian, but just what God is doing in my life right now and how he's getting me through things and more reading of the Psalms and not just reading them, but like feeling reading them. Now, that would take a while to take our communities that are not used to that. But eventually, over time, I think people will learn and things begin to change. And I really do think I think worship services are great. I love the music. I love the messages. 
But I really do think that there's two really key things that we're missing as a whole, and that is the Psalms, prayers, public prayers, and um, testimonies. They're more fashioned in the community. So you will notice that some of the Psalms can be very generic. Many of them are generic. And they might have been very specific to a very specific thing at one time, but as they became translated to the community, some of the generalness comes out. So when David's talking about being betrayed by his best friend, he might have mentioned his best friend, who exactly it was at the time, but it becomes very general by the time it hits the community so that anybody could pray that prayer. Or the specific prayer request that was answered might have been like cancer. But when it hits the community, it's just, you healed my body, so that anybody can pray that. And so the community could all relate to that. So at one time they might have been more specific, but now they've become more general. 